Welcome to Westport Road Baptist Church. We're so glad you've decided to join us for today's message. Westport Road Baptist Church is located at the corner of Hurstbourne Lane and Westport Road in Louisville, Kentucky. If you have a Bible, please have it handy and prepare your heart and mind as our pastor, Chip Pendleton, brings us the Word of God. Well, good morning. Good to see everybody this morning. Uh, Welcome everybody online as well. If you're watching online, continue to use that chat feature. We're going to have a couple of questions for you uh, as we go through there. And so please do that. But we're going to jump right into it because we got a lot to cover today. Uh, And as we get started, I'm going to start with a question. Who here has ever been told that you look like your parents or that your children look like you? Anybody? Okay, about three-fourths, that was about what it was in the first service, I think, about three-fourths of the people uh, said they've either been told they look like their parents or that their children look like them. Uh, My son, Andrew, is told all the time, you look just like your dad, and I think that is so funny because I tell him, how does it feel that people are telling you you look like an old fat guy? You know, that that would really make me mad if somebody told me that, and yet people are telling him that all the time. And, and, uh, well, the reason... We look like our parents is something called deoxyribonucleic acid. Uh, does anybody know what that is? DNA. DNA. DNA is kind of like that, that uh, whole chart of our life. Got a picture of a DNA strand right here. It contains all of our genetic material. And I would explain it a whole lot more, but I don't really understand it. Uh, so, but, but I know it does something uh, that's there. Now, we get our DNA literally from our parents. of you is your mother's DNA that makes you who you are, decides your your hair color and your eyes and all that, and 50% is from your father. And so we get half from our our mother, half from our father, but they make us everything about us, whether you're tall, whether you're short, uh, whether you're predisposed to anxiety, whether you have this particular issue or you're really good at this or that. All of that comes from those DNA markers that are inside of us that come from our two parents that make us uniquely, individually, who we are. And I tell you that this morning because we're starting a sermon series we looked at, began last week, on the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit, we're told, is God's DNA inside of us. When God's Spirit came to us during our salvation, literally God's DNA began to indwell us. Now, we're going to be looking at nine different fruit of the Spirit uh, as we go through this. We're going to look at three each week. Uh, You're going to learn three different Greek words each week, which will really be good, because when the series is over, you can take that vacation to Ibiza and be able to talk to anybody. I mean, it'll just, it'll be perfect, so uh, uh, you'll know all about that uh, as we go. So uh, we're going to jump right into it. We're over in Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 22. Now, when we start, where we looked at last week was Paul has just described the acts of the flesh. And now he's going to be talking about the fruit that comes from the Spirit of God. Uh, And the first thing we see is this. The fruit of the Spirit is not something we can manufacture on our own. It only comes from God. This isn't something you can get uh, by having willpower. It's something that comes from the Spirit of God. Chapter 5, verse 22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit. So we've had the acts of the flesh. Now we have the fruit. But the fruit of what? The fruit of the Spirit. So this is something that comes from God having His Spirit inside of us. When you were saved, you were born again, and God literally put His Spirit, His DNA, if you will, inside of you. 
And as a marker of what that DNA is like, like we say, well, you know, I get my, uh, my hair color from my, my parents or, or something like that. Well, the marker of what God's DNA does are the nine things that we're going to look like at over the next uh, three weeks. It's from Jesus being in our life, that through the Spirit, it's not something we can do. Now, some of these things uh, you might think, well, I wish I had a little more patience. I'm going to try to be a more patient person or something like that. But what we're going to see is the kind of thing that's being talked about here is unique. You're going to see that today. And it only comes from having God's Spirit inside of you. So let's jump in and look at the three we're going to look at this week. The three we're looking at this week are love, joy, and peace. Sounds a little new age to me. I don't know. Uh, But we're going to jump in there and we're going to look at those and talk about them. And the first is this. The fruit of the Spirit is love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Now, here's the first Greek word that we're going to look at. You probably uh, have, have heard this one before. But in, in, in Greek, there are several different words to refer to love. Uh, there's eros, which is kind of like a romantic love that you would have for your spouse or something like that. There's the word storge, which is kind of uh, a word that you would have uh, for family members. It's the way you feel about your parents or your brother or your sister, or maybe not your brother and your sister, but, you know, other things like that, you know, as you go through it. There's the word philia, which is kind of the love you have uh, for friends and, and people like that. That's where we get the word Philadelphia. It's the city of brotherly love and all of that. So all of those Greek words uh, that have to do with love are kind of based on emotion, how you feel, the relationship you have with the person. But the love that's being talked about here in our scripture passage in Galatians 5.22, and almost every time in the New Testament when the word love is used, it is the Greek word agape, agape. Now, what is agape kind of love? Uh, Agape kind of love is kind of to will the well-being of another person. It is something you do, not something that you feel. And so you're, you're literally involved in loving, caring, sacrificing, giving for another person. As a matter of fact, in the King James Version of the Bible, does anybody know how the word agape is generally translated? Charity. Now, here's the thing. I heard that several times. In the traditional service, where everybody was using the King James, nobody knew. And I'm thinking, what's the deal here? Uh, it's charity. Uh, often the King James Version calls agape love charity. And we think of charity giving to someone uh, who can't take care of themselves, that kind of charity. That's kind of an agape love, sacrificing, giving, being involved in another person. So that's the kind of love we're going to look look at. So what does the Bible say about agape kind of love? The first thing it says is this. The fruit of love is, is an action. It's not an emotion. It's something you do, not a way you feel. So that's an agape kind of love. It's something you're doing, not something you're feeling. It's not an emotion. So if you, if you, when we read often in the New Testament and the word agape comes and we see love, we think of it as this. Oh, I'm supposed to love everybody. But that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about sacrificing, giving, being involved, willing the well-being of another person, even if they don't will it back to you or even if you don't feel that way. Uh, Now, uh, generally, uh, when it comes to love, we think of love as being an emotion. But again, the love we're talking about here is not an emotion. It's something you're doing. I think that's really emphasized well in Luke chapter 6, beginning with verse 27. Luke 6, beginning with verse 27. But to you who are listening, I say, agape your enemies, do good to those who hate you. 
Now look at that again and think of it not as the emotional word love. It doesn't say, listen, this is what I'm saying to you. Love your enemies. Now, now we think about that and we go, okay, I don't think that's quite going to work here. But that's not what it's saying. It's saying agape your enemies. Be self-sacrificing, giving, caring, even to your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. If anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love people who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. Now look at that last verse again, verse 32. It's not if you love somebody who loves you. It's if you agape somebody who doesn't agape you back, that's when you really have God inside of you, not when you're agapeing somebody who agapes you. Look, we always like people who like us and do good things for us. The, the mark, though, of agape love is when someone isn't loving us back, when someone doesn't care for us, and we love them and care for them and sacrifice for them anyway because of who they are as a child of God and the fact that God loves them and wants them saved, and it goes beyond our feelings or emotions for them. That's an agape type of love. It's an action. It's not an emotion. The second thing we see about agape love is agape love is the heart of our faith, and we're called to love God and love other people. In Matthew 22, uh, Jesus was asked, what's the most important thing in all the law and all the prophets? What's the foundation of what it means to be a believer in God? And this is what Jesus said, Matthew 22, verse 37. Jesus replied, agape the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is just like it, agape your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now, everybody knows these verses. Love God, love other people. But when you read it with agape, instead of with an emotional kind of love, it makes all the difference in the world. Because we think what verse 37 is saying is some kind of emotional kind of love. I love God so much. But it's actually saying a whole lot more than that. It's saying a whole lot more than, oh, I really love God. You know, we get all fuzzy feeling when I think about him or something, just get all warm inside. No, it's saying agape the Lord your God with all your soul and with all your mind. In other words, I'm going to give and sacrifice and be involved in serving God with everything that I have. That's a much different way of seeing that verse than I have some emotion towards God. You know, I feel kindly disposed towards him. No, I have an agape love when it comes to God. God, I'm serving you. I love you. You're my master. I, I, I'm, I'm going to do all I can to sacrifice and give for you. That's a different thing there. And then he goes on and he says, but the second is just like it. Just as you're agapeing God and you're loving and sacrificing and giving for him, you need to agape other people too. You need to show that same kind of love and self-sacrifice and giving to others just as God showed it and gave it to you when you didn't deserve it, you give it to others. And that's the hallmark of our faith when we agape God and we agape other people. And then finally, the last thing when it comes to agape, children look like their parents, so when you show agape love, you look like God. 
So children look like their parents. When you show uh, agape love, you look like God. Now, I've got some pictures here uh, of some uh, famous stars and, and their children who looked like them. I think the first is Julianne Moore and uh, her daughter Liv. Would you be able to pick them two out in a crowd? Yeah, pro- probably so if you saw them. The next is Meryl Streep and her daughter Mamie. Uh, they look uh, just alike when you see that there. And then finally, Reese Witherspoon and her daughter, Ava, uh, that's there. So children look like their parents. If God is our father and his DNA is inside of us, shouldn't we look like our father? Well, how do we look like God? Look at John 13, verses 34 and 35. John 13, 34 and 35. A new commandment I give you, agape one another. As I have agaped you, so you should agape one another. By this, everyone will know you're my disciples when you agape one another. Now, again, reading it as agape instead of love makes all the difference in the world. He says, a new command I give you, not love one another like I loved you, but agape one another. How did God love us? He sacrificed himself, went to the cross, died in our place, took our sins upon him, gave everything for us. And what he's saying is, just as I agaped you, so you're supposed to be agapeing other people, giving yourself to them, loving them, sacrificing for them. And then this makes that verse 35 even more important. By this, everybody will know you're my disciples when you sacrifice yourself and give yourself for them, when you agape one another. And so it's much stronger and more powerful than we might take it to be. That's what agape love is really all about. I read a story in the paper this week. A little boy was at Walmart. He saw a, an elderly man who was having trouble uh, getting groceries off the shelves and thing, and he asked his mom, Mom, I know there's COVID and everything. Can I please go help that guy? And she said, yes, you can go help him. For the next 30 minutes, he went through the aisles, helping the guy, getting everything off the shelf he needed. And when he left, the guy literally had tears in his eyes. And he said, thank you. I just enjoyed spending time with your son. And it's been a long time since anybody helped me do anything. When that young man did that, he looked like his father God. That was agape. So that's the first Greek word we've looked at. The first fruit of the Spirit is love. The second fruit of the Spirit that we're going to look at is joy. Joy. It says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Now, the Greek word that's used here for joy is the word chara. Chara. And chara means to delight in God's grace. So it's more than just being happy. Uh, It's more than just feeling good about what's going on in your life. But chara is a delight, a happiness, a joy that comes from understanding God's hope and grace. So that's an entirely different kind of thing as well when you see that word joy. And again, in the New Testament, most of the times that chara is used, that word joy is used, it is the word chara. So let's look at chara, joy, and see what the Bible has to say about this. The first thing it says is that chara, joy, comes from our relationship with God. It comes from our relationship with God. Now, what we're going to see, just like we saw last time, none of this stuff's natural. It's not natural to love your enemy, to agape your enemy. It only comes from God's Spirit inside of you. It's not natural to have the kind of joy we're going to talk about, and we'll see that in just a second. It comes from our relationship with God. 
Now, generally, when we think of joy and happiness, we think of it coming uh, either from our circumstances or our mood. So first of all, it comes from our circumstances. Everything's good, happens, something really good or something really bad, and we either feel good or bad because of our circumstances. So our emotions are going to come and go, and our joy and happiness comes and goes. Sometimes, though, it doesn't matter your circumstance. You're just in a good or bad mood. Sometimes the best thing in the world might happen to you, and you're just in a mood. And when you're in a mood, you're not going to be happy or joyous no matter what is going on around you. Anybody here sitting next to someone right now that's just in a mood? Don't, 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 don't point at them. Okay, that might be rude. That might be rude. Okay, so this is a joy that doesn't come from circumstance. It doesn't come from mood. It comes from God. Look at Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him and that you may overflow with hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Every verse we're going to look at today is going to say this only comes from the Spirit. It's not something you're doing inside of you. So the God of hope, that's where our joy comes from. That word hope is used two times in that one sentence. May the God of hope fill you and may you overflow with hope. So it's not dependent upon circumstance. It's dependent upon our hope in God. No matter what else is going on around me, God loves me. God cares for me. Jesus died for me. I'm going to heaven when this is all over. It gives me a joy despite anything going on around me. So that is a chara kind of hope that is not dependent upon anything but our relationship with God. And that brings us to the second thing we see about chara. This joy isn't dependent upon our circumstances it's in spite of our circumstances. So you can have chara joy even in the worst situations and the worst things going on around you. Look at Romans 12, 12. Be joyful in hope. Again, the two are put together. You're hoping in God, and therefore that gives you joy. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. It's not dependent upon your circumstance. It's in spite of your circumstance. Have you ever met anyone going through a tough problem and they just seem to be filled with joy? It's not natural. It's something that comes from having the Spirit of God inside of you. And then the last thing that we see about chara, joy, is that joy is a safeguard for our faith when we center around God and not our problems. Look at Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice, chara, in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write this to you again. It's a safeguard for you. How does having chara joy in our life safeguard us? Because what's it based on? It's based on the hope we have in Christ. When problems come in your life, when you have trouble, when everything hits you and you're overwhelmed, you have two choices that you can make. One choice is you can center and look at your problem. And when you're looking at your problem, everything becomes magnified. I don't care how small it is. If you've got a little problem, but you're worrying about it all the time, you'll end up not sleeping, it'll overwhelm you, and all you see is your problem. And when all you can see is your problem, because that's what you're, you're, you're centering on, then all the questions come up. Why is this happening? Where's God? Why doesn't God love me? Why is God allowing this? Why hasn't God stopped this? And all of this comes because you're looking at your problem. But what we're told in our scripture here is in Philippians 3.1, when we change our focus and we put our focus on God, that's a safeguard to our faith. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble. It's a safeguard. If you're looking at God, 
I don't care what my problem is, how big or small. God still loves me. God's still working. God's still there. He's still in control. And even if my problem kills me, he'll raise me from the dead. And you have that hope? Then that's where chara joy comes from. It's a joy that goes on despite our circumstances. Give you an example of what I'm talking about here. Uh, in, the, in Mississippi, in Covington County, at the Covington County Jail. And by the way, who here has been inside the Covington County Jail? Okay. Uh, you can just put that in the chat feature online if, if, you have, if you have been there. Some of you need to stay out of Mississippi uh, with extradition treaties and everything and all that. But anyway, in the Covington County Jail this past week in Mississippi, 17 inmates were baptized. 17 people in one day. They brought them all together. Here's some of the guys that were baptized. You can see how happy they are. Got one guy over there doesn't look real happy. Uh, some people just don't like to get their picture taken. You know. Uh, here's the next picture. These are some of the ladies that were baptized that were there that day. They said when it happened, they brought every inmate in the jail was forced to come out and watch the baptisms. And then when the baptisms were over, even the inmates that weren't baptized were going, praise the Lord, they were cheering. Everybody was slapping each other on the back. Everybody was happy. What was the condition of these people? They were in jail because they had committed a crime. They had been found guilty of the crime. And after their baptism, they were going to be taken, walked into a little rectangle box, put inside of it, and had the door locked. And they were filled with chara. How were they filled with joy? Because it was something that came from the Spirit of God in spite of their situation they had hope and that's chara joy so on your uh chat feature right here just from a scale of one to ten put where is chara joy in your life right now ten being the best one being the wor- uh the least where do you see yourself with chara joy right now in your life and that brings us to the last of the three greek words we're going to look at today we're so the fruit of the spirit is love it's joy and it's peace the Greek word that's used here for peace is the word arene. And, and arene means to join or tie together. So think of it this way. You've got uh, something that was whole, it's been broke apart into a lot of different pieces, and you put it all back together, and it goes from chaos to completion. That's peace. That's arene. So you have a puzzle, and you've got all the different puzzle pieces, and, and, and they're, none of them are, are distinctive or unique. They don't make a picture at all. But when you take all of these, these scattered puzzle pieces and you put them together, it forms one beautiful picture, one whole puzzle. That's arena. It's bringing together back into wholeness. Probably also needs to be said at this point, the people who wrote the New Testament were Jewish. And in the Hebrew understanding of peace, which is what they would have had, it's the word shalom. And shalom means more than the absence of conflict in your life, which is what we think of as war. Uh, It means total wholeness in your mind, your body, and your soul. So those two concepts are probably jointly together uh, as we look at this. So let's look at arene and what the Bible says about arene. And basically what the Bible says about arene is God's going to bring arene into your life in three different areas. In three different areas, God's going to bring peace into your life. In the first area, God's going to bring peace into your life. He's going to bring peace between you and Him. The, the Spirit of God brings peace between us and God. Now, why were we at conflict in God in the first place? The reason we were at conflict with God is because of our sin. 
Our sin had separated us from God. Our sin had built a wall between us and God because of our rebellion and wanting to do it our way against God. We had been separated from God. There was no peace because of us between us and God. But look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 20. Colossians chapter 1, verse 20. And through him to reconcile in himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making a reine through his blood that he shed on the cross. In other words, our sinful actions have caused the whole to become scattered and chaotic. And what Jesus did is he died on the cross, took our sins upon him. We have been forgiven of those. And he's taken all of this scattered sin and destruction in our life and made it one whole again. And so that's what he did. He made peace between us and God. And the only way you get that peace is accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior, asking God to come into your life. And when you do, one of, the, one of the fruit of the Spirit of God coming inside of you is that He gives you that peace between Him and yourself. So that's the first way we have peace, peace between us and God. The second place that we find peace is that we find peace interpersonally. We find peace in our heart, our mind, and in our soul. Now, it's really interesting. Over the last year, we're told that depression, anxiety, uh, fear have been off the charts among people. As a matter of fact, I was reading a, an article this week that said anxiety and depression are up 60% in people over last year. 60%. That's astronomical. 2 or 3% is high. But people are 60%. And think of everything that we're dealing with. You know, all this stuff with, with uh, politics and, and racism and riots. And, and, and then you throw in COVID where we're isolated and, and nothing's the way it was. And we're told that depression and anxiety have gone off the charts. And because of that, things like drug and alcohol addiction, overdoses are the highest it's been at any time in our country. Suicides are at the highest rate they've been at any time in the history of our country. People are filled with anxiety and fear and depression. And what God says is in the midst of all of that scatteredness and brokenness, I'm going to bring it all together and I'm going to bring peace to your mind and to your soul. It's not natural. It comes from me. Look at John 14, verses 26 and 27. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, again, everything we've talked about, I want to emphasize, it doesn't come from you. It comes from the Holy Spirit. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've said to you. Arene, I leave you. My arene, I give you. I don't give it as the world gives it. Don't let your heart be troubled. Do not be afraid. So he said, in the midst of your problems, in the midst of your trouble, in the midst of your anxiety and depression, I'm going to take all of those broken pieces and do something that no one else can do. I'm going to bring them together in a reine. I'm going to bring peace. And it's not like the world gives it. You can't get this from the world. I mean, there's nothing wrong with counseling and going to people and having a good therapist. Nothing wrong with any of that. But you can't manufacture this kind of a reine. It only comes from God giving you a peace in your heart and mind that goes beyond any situation that you may be in. It gives peace to you interpersonally. 
So peace between us and God, peace in our heart and mind, and finally, peace in our relationships with other people. That's the last place God brings peace. The Spirit leads us to be peacemakers in the relationships in our life. Look at Romans 12, 18. Romans 12, 18. If it's possible, as far as it depends upon you, live at arena with one another. So he's saying, okay, sometimes in relationships, relationships get strained. Relationships get broken. All the pieces get scattered again. But God says, as far as it depends upon you, then you live at arena with everyone else. Now, what that means is sometimes it's not possible with other people. Sometimes people won't accept your love and peace. Sometimes they'll reject it. They'll throw it back in your face. They'll be mean. They'll be ugly. That's their decision. Your decision is from your end, you're going to be an arena maker. You're going to be pulling it all together. And whether they accept it or not, that's what you're giving back because it's coming from that agape love one again. again. So our job is to, is to be arena whether the people are doing that back to us or not. And then it's really interesting in Matthew 5, 9, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this, Blessed are the arena makers. They'll be called the children of God. Now, again, we think of that as blessed are the peacemakers. But think of it through arena. Blessed are those who, when they're in relationships and their relationships are broken and chaotic and destroyed, they try to put it all back together. When you become an arena maker, then you're acting like God and you look like him because you have his DNA inside of you. Blessed are the arena makers. They're the children of God because that's what God did for us, brought us peace when we were at war with him. Anybody know who's, who Vitor Belafort is? Okay, you people need to do more UFC boxing, okay, or something like that. But uh, Vitor Belafort, uh, he's, he's sort of retired, which means... Every time somebody will pay him millions of dollars, he'll come out and fight again, even though he's too old. Uh, but Vitor Belafort is a legend in UFC boxing. He's the youngest person to ever win a UFC bout. He was UFC lightweight champion, UFC heavyweight champion, and he has the most knockouts of any fighter in UFC history. And he said that at best he was a nominal Christian. He believed in God, but, you know, whatever, he grew up that way. But it really had no influence on his life or anything like that. At the height of his fame several years ago, Vito Belafort's younger sister was kidnapped and murdered. And he said that he was so angry, it was unbelievable. Here's a picture of Vitor and his wife with pictures of his sister. They're going through Rio de Janeiro, trying to find if anybody has seen her or know anything about it. And when he said he found out his sister was murdered, he was so angry. And he said he was angry at everything. He was angry at God. He was angry at, at other people. God, why have you done this? Why is this happening? Uh, and he said he kept thinking, I can, I can walk into that ring and literally destroy anybody I fight. And you can look at the picture here. He probably could, uh, you know, as, as you're looking at that right there. And he said, I couldn't even protect my little sister. And he was so very, very angry. And he said, finally, one night, in the middle of the night, he couldn't take it anymore. And he was so angry. And he got down on his hands and knees in front of his bed. And he began to yell and scream at God at how angry he was. And he said, in the midst of all of that, without even asking for it, just yelling at God, why is this happening? He felt an unbelievable peace, an arena, come upon him 
and he said it changed everything. About a year later, the people that murdered his sister were found, and they were put into jail, and he said he no longer wanted to find them and kill them. He said, I just felt an unbelievable sorrow at how warped a mind must be to think about these things and do these things. And he said, I can't explain to you what happened because it didn't come from me. That's an arena that comes from God. It's something not natural. It comes from the DNA of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we need, the love, the joy, the peace of God. Let's have a prayer. Father, thank you for loving us so much. Thank you for giving us your spirit that gives us this fruit that goes beyond the world's understanding. Help us, Father, to live it out each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the first thing I would say as we go into this time of invitation is this. We talked about how God brings us peace and joy and love, but it only comes when God's in your life. When God comes to you in your salvation experience, his spirit indwells you. If you're here today and God is not in your life, then you can never know the love, the joy, and the peace that we've talked about today. And God so wants you to have it. And so right there on that prayer tab, if you're watching online, click on that. Somebody will tell you what it means to have Jesus in your life, what it means to be saved. If you're on campus right now, as we leave, please grab a minister and we'd love to talk to you about that. You need that love and joy and peace. It only comes from God. And the second thing is, if you are a Christian, as you go out and ask yourself, you know, where am I when it comes to love and joy and peace? How do I need to be living that out in my everyday life? But as we sing together, uh, you respond however God leads you to. We hope you enjoyed today's lesson and that it spoke to you. If you have prayer needs or want more information about us, we invite you to stop by our website, mywrbc.org, and click on Contact. Please use the word podcast in the subject line. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, keyword MyWRBC. At Westport Road Baptist Church, we love God and love people. Please join us for Sunday morning service at either 9.30 a.m. or 11 a.m. We also have Sunday school for all ages during both service times. Thanks again for listening, and join us next week for another message from God's Word.